Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, and welcome to this week's episode of The Quarterdeck. This week, as we continue with our reading of our book, with the 1st Marine Division in Iraq of 2003, No Greater Friend, No Worst Enemy, it's that time. Now it's time to start talking about how the division is actually moving and getting ready to attack and head into Iraq to relieve that country of the regime of Saddam Hussein. In our Hero Highlights this week, we will continue with our reading of our history with the citation of First Lieutenant Jack Loomis, United States Marine Corps. And most importantly, the most important thing that we're going to discuss this week is the celebration, the 248th birthday of our beloved Marine Corps. Drop and give me 25. I'm the gunny. It's time for the gunny. It's time. It's time. The quarter deck. Lights, lights, lights. Get online right now. You got 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, 0. Hello, my bunch of knuckle-dragging, beer-drinking, hard-charging devil dogs. You're listening to The Quarter Deck. I am your host, Miguel, the Gunny Signs. Get off the bus! I do solemnly swear. I do solemnly swear. That I will support you. The Here we go, November 9th, 2023, and tomorrow is the beloved birthday of our Marine Corps, 248 years of existence of the United States Marine Corps. So to all my fellow Marines out there, happy, happy birthday, and I hope you celebrate and have a good time and have a couple of cold ones for me. As for us here on the quarter deck, we want to go ahead and continue on with the tradition of the birthday of the Marine Corps since its birth back in 1775 in Tun Tavern in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Throughout the years, every unit in the Marine Corps, whether they are deployed abroad somewhere or they are here in CONUS in the United States, we take time to celebrate and remember the history of the birth of our Corps. Now, this is done in many different ways, and those of you that served in the Marine Corps and have attended your plenty number of Marine Corps ball birthdays, you know the procedure. You know how what goes on with it in the reading of General John J. Lejeune's message, our commandant, and the current commandant of the Marine Corps' reading of the current birthday message, the Cape County Center morning, and so forth, and all those different things that go on with that. Now, here on the quarterdeck, we are going to go and listen to the reading of General John J. Lejeune's birthday message, as well as listen to the birthday message for us for this year in our celebration of these 248 years. I cannot believe it. I f do not feel a day older than 46. <laughs> so yes, yes, yes. It's always a great time of year, a great time to celebrate and to remember everything and everyone that has come before us and what they have done so we can celebrate it. For me, the last Marine Corps birthday ball that we went to, which was my wife and I, that we attended was down there in Fort Sill, Oklahoma with the Marine Detachment down there. And this was down in 2013. The ball 13 because I retired. Nope, let me correct myself. Man, I'm giving myself an extra day. It was in 2014, the last Marine Corps ball that we went to. And it was down there in... Those of you that have never attended a schoolhouse, it's a birthday Marine Corps celebration. They have to have one specifically just for the students. 
and one for the permanent personnel that they have their station there to instruct all of the students. So for us, we have one one day and then to another day later, we have the other one. So we, we have to attend two of them because we have to make sure that we are there to supervise the student ball to make sure that they behave and don't do anything that we're going to regret for letting them have their birthday ball celebration there. So for me, it was a special time because I was actually celebrating the last time that I was going to attend one of these birthday balls, as well as for my wife. She, I know she misses it. She misses attending these because it's not about just the celebration, but it's the camaraderie, the relationships that we share once we are there with everybody. So let's get to it. Let's get to hearing the birthday messages of our commandants so we can get into the festivities of our birthday ball celebration. On November 1st, 1921, John A. Lejeune, 13th Commandant of the Marine Corps, directed that a reminder of the honorable service of the Corps be published by every command. To all Marines throughout the globe, on the birthday of the Corps, since that day, the men and women of our Corps have continued to distinguish themselves on many battlefields and foreign shores, in war and peace. On this birthday of our Corps, Therefore, in recognition of the will of the 13th Commandant, a reminder of the Corps' honorable service is published as follows. On November 10, 1775, a Corps of Marines was created by the resolution of the Continental Congress. Since that date, many thousands of men have borne the name Marine. In memory of them, it is fitting that we, who are Marines, should commemorate the birthday of our Corps by calling to mind the glories of its long and illustrious history. The record of our Corps is one which bear comparison with that of the most famous military organization in the world's history. During 90 of the 146 years of his existence, the Marine Corps has been in action against the nation's foes. From the battles of Trenton to Argonne, Marines have won foremost honors in war, in the long era of tranquility, at home, Generation after generation of Marines have grown gray in war in both hemispheres. And in every corner of the seven seas so that our country and its citizens might enjoy peace and security. In every battle and skirmish since the birth of the Corps, Marines have acquitted themselves with the greatest distinction, winning new honors on each occasion until the term Marine has come to signify all that is highest in military, efficiency, and solidarity virtue. This high name of distinction and solidarity repute we who are Marines today have received from those who have preceded us in the Corps. With it, we also receive from them the eternal spirit which has animated our Corps from generations and has long been the distinguishing mark of Marines in every age. So long as the spirit continues to flourish, Marines will be found equal to every emergency in the future as they have been in the past. And the me of our nation will regard us worthy successors to the long line of illustrious men who have served as soldiers of the sea since the founding of the Corps. The timeless message of our 13th Commandant has left its mark in the hearts and minds of all Marines, past and present. By deed and by act from the Bella Wood to the Argonne from Guadalcanal to Iwo Jima from Inchon to the Korean armistice, from the hard fights in Vietnam to Desert Shield, Desert Storm, to the centuries longest wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, and in hundreds of other places where Marines have distinguished themselves. 
Marines have continued to epitomize those qualities, which are their legacy. The success which the men and women who have earned the title Marine have achieved in combat and the faith they have borne in peace will endure forever. The Commandant and our many friends have added their hearty praise and congratulations on this, our 248th birthday. It is very hard to believe that ever since then, we continue to follow the tradition of the Commandant of the Marine Corps of General John J. Lejeune and the message that he presented to us as Marines. As it is tradition, every single year, we also hear the message and listen to what our current Commandant has to say of the Marines. So let's take a listen to what they had to say this year on our 248th birthday. To this day, young men and women choose to raise their right hand wear an oath to something greater than themselves. Combat is ugly. You see, I don't like this. You know, I got a flashlight. He's gone. How you know? He was laying. Because he was laying right there. He's not there no more. He was laying up I shot him like five times when I came back. If you think combat is great, then you haven't been there. So we were taking fire all day long. Lieutenant Calvin bent over to grab his radio, a tracer round, came through the left armhole of his flak jacket and out the right armhole and just barely pe penetrated the skin. Crazy thing is that when he was a young enlisted Marine, he got a tattoo on his back that said, Marine, the tracer underlined the word Marine. That's the kind of story that people won't believe unless you show it to them. I've been shot a few times and blown up and stabbed. I owe my life to Navy corpsmen, those are unsung heroes. When you're in a battle and you're wounded, but you know you can still pull a trigger, the thing that keeps you going is the man to your left and the man to your right. Since its birth, the Marine Corps has sought to find those exceptional individuals who embody the qualities of toughness, grit, honor, courage, and commitment qualities required of a professional warfighting force that is not only capable, but willing to do the hard things on behalf of the nation. Victory in every climb and place does not happen by chance. 
From the unforgiving jungles of the South Pacific, to the snow-covered mountains of Korea, to the bloody streets of Wei and Fallujah, Marines have prevailed because they had moral courage, steel backbones, and a ruthless commitment to a tradition of excellence. And with preparation comes confidence. The more prepared you are, the more you rehearse, the more you, you drill, the more confident you get. And so we're ready to go. The Marine standard is the only standard, and discipline is the currency of our Corps. This is the bedrock of our ethos and what makes us unique from any other fighting force in the world. Discipline and being lethal, I see it every single day from the fire team to the squad to the platoon level when the Marines are running up recon, running through the load trail, going to the dojo, making themselves more lethal and fit. And that directly correlates to when we go do, you know, Rangers 400 or do a company cliff assault. That's only going to continue to bleed on when they go overseas and take care of business. Today, we continue to prepare for the next fight. And while the faces, weapons, and formations are new, the fighting spirit of the individual Marine has never changed. When the nation calls and the order is given to send in the Marines, every friend and every foe understands that help or destruction is on the way. Right now, we have more capabilities than uh, we ever had in the past, from weapon systems, platforms, and technology, to able to be lighter and faster and more lethal. As Marines, we do not decide when the next fight will come, but we do decide who wins. The Marines who came before have paved the way. They prevailed against all odds, in the face of unimaginable hardship, and yet they kept their humanity. They kept their honor clean. The character of war will change. The battlefield will evolve and the equipment will modernize. But the warrior ethos of our Corps stands firm. We do not simply say that we're first to fight. We work hard every day to prove it. To our adversaries, I would say if you see that US Marines and you see that MARPAD, I would say you better stand by. Because if you don't think these Marines are working every single day to better their craft and skills, you got another thing coming. Because these Marines aren't going to stop until the mission is accomplished and you're destroyed. It's funny when you're a, a Lance Corporal and you got combat action, Navy Unit Commendation, Marine Corps Expeditionary Medal, and a sea service, and they look at you like, where have you been? Nowhere. I just went where the Marine Corps sent me. We are people who are dedicated to the service to others. If there's somebody that's in trouble, a Marine is not going to turn and walk away. They're going to do whatever's necessary it, to the point of giving their life. Admiral Chester Nimitz said about Iwo Jima, uncommon valor was a common virtue. The stories I hear at reunions should be on Silver Star citations. The Marine Corps history is very important, and I'm glad that it's still being taught. I'm glad that my fellow Marines that didn't come back are being remembered, are being discussed in squad base to this day. Marines are tough. 
I think there's something about a young man or young woman who comes into the Marine Corps that they perhaps were born with and didn't even know it. You can do it. You can do it all. Um, you are capable more than you think, and there are so many people in the Marine Corps who want to enable that. You're now fighting for your brothers and sisters. What was common then, and from what I can tell what's common now, is uh, the camaraderie. Uh, you watch my back, I'll watch your back. You don't want to let people down on either side of you. There's no better thing than camaraderie and talking through it and sharing certain pieces with individuals because it creates a bond that is unbreakable. Everybody wants to be a champion. Everybody really wants to be part of the best. Marines, you are the strength of our core. And your actions determine the fate of millions of future warriors and their ability to stand on your shoulders. I know that you're ready. As we come together to celebrate our 248th birthday, I encourage every Marine to reflect on our history and think about the moment when you ask yourself, do I have what it takes? You are on the journey that few have dared to begin. Take pride in what you represent. You are the pinnacle of professional warriors and the model for others to follow. Sergeant Major Ruiz and I are proud to stand among you and we'll be with you every step of the way. Happy, Happy birthday, birthday, Marines, and Semper Fidelis. We're Marines till we die. And we require two-week notice for that. Hoorah! Sergeant Major and the Commandant of the Marine Corps. Man, it always brings chills to me to be able to listen to that birthday message every single year. Are you looking for a photographer who can capture the most important moments in your life? Look no further than Miguel Signs Photography. Miguel Signs is an award-winning photographer with a passion for capturing the beauty and emotions of weddings, family portraits, and special events. With years of experience and a creative eye, Miguel Signs will create stunning images that you'll treasure for years to come. Whether you're looking for a traditional wedding album, a unique family portrait, or a professional headshot for your business, Miguel Signs Photography has the expertise to bring your vision to life. From the initial consultation to the final product, Miguel Signs will work with you every step of the way to ensure that your images reflect your unique style and personality. Don't settle for mediocre photographs that simply document an event. Trust Miguel Signs Photography to create timeless images that capture the essence of your special moments. Book your session today and experience the magic of Miguel Signs Photography. Visit Miguel Signs Photography online at miguelsignsphotography.com to see examples of his work and schedule your appointment today. What we're going to do right here is go back. Way back, back into time. Well, well, well. Now we're getting closer and closer to the 1st Marine Division to head across the border from Kuwait and head into Iraq. Last week we talked about how the, some of the division that was out there assisting the Kuwaitis in removing all the barriers and barricades and everything from the border into Iraq, how they started to receive mortar fire and how they were dealing with those kind of situations now on a daily basis. Now this week... Let's talk a little bit more about how the division is actually moving into the attack position to allow them to get ready 
to head into Iraq and handle whatever business that they got to handle now that they're getting ready to head into country and actually execute the whole plan that they've been working on for these many, many weeks that we've been discussing our book. I know that to me, it's always very, very important that a plan is executed the same way that it was rehearsed or it was planned. And this is going to be the goal of the division to ensure that everything is ready to go now that they're moving into the attack. On 20 March, 1MEF officially took control of the battle space, and 3rd Maw began vigorously preparatory fires on the Iraqis' 51st Mechanized Division. The division still anticipated a two-day separation between A-Day and G-Day and waited, poised to go at any time. The division would get its battle space at 1500 Zulu time on 20 March and H hour was set for 03 Zulu time on 21 March. Zulu time is referred to as the Greenwich Mean Time. It provides a common time reference for forces operating across time zones. And it's important to avoid confusion between forces that may be operating thousands of miles away. Now, to me, this is very important because they, everybody in the military always focuses on Zulu time just to ensure that everybody is on the same page and that whenever a target is marked or whatever needs to be done, a predetermined target, if there are multiple units that are going to be engaging this target, that they're going to engage it at the same exact same time. I mean, come on, really? Daylight savings time, all that stuff and everything else going around the world and stuff like that. How would it be if people actually engaged a target at their own local time? Oh, my goodness. You know, what a mess that would be. So this is the reason that the military uses Zulu time. The local time in Iraq was typically three hours ahead of Zulu. So 03 Zulu corresponded to six o'clock in the morning in most of Iraq. Fire Support Coordination Line, or FSCL, one would also be established at 1500 Zulu, followed by an FCL-2 at 1530 Zulu. The Division CG was in constant motion as he worked with higher headquarters to adjust the timing of the opening fight to match the circumstances on the ground. Throughout the day, he was to stay to close contact with Lieutenant General Conway, Major General Brims, and the 1st UK Division and Major General Amos from 3rd Maw. The Blue Diamond team was in its fighting stance and stood balanced and ready to attack. As the shipping fires began to execute, the division prepared to attack the following day. A strange incident took place. The G2 had confirmed that the movement of additional infantry elements to the border area with the departure of the UN observers. With the P-3 aircraft and Pioneer UAV, the paddle space had just across the LD had been observed repeatedly to the limits of these platforms, and there was no other significant activity noted. The division was prepared to execute the attack against the base army laydown that had been briefed. As always, there had been a number of conflicting intelligence reports received, some indicating greater reinforcements by the Iraqis in the south. One of the challenges for the division had been to sift through the competing and often contradictory intelligence indicators received from external sources. The patch together of this own assessment of the enemy's laydown 
to the front. The G2 had not been able to verify any of the more spectacular claims of massive reinforcements in the South. In fact, on 20 March, NEMA had produced a comprehensive laydown of the 51st Mechanized Infantry Division, identifying the locations of most of their equipment and not detecting any major reinforcements. On this day, however, RCT-7 received a strange visitor who was the influence of execution of the opening gambit. An Iraqi informant was brought to the RCT-7 CP by a Clansentine American unit. When questioned by a spectacle RCT-7 command team, this informant was presented as a credible source that had never been wrong in the past. Now he gave RCT-7 a new report that the Iraqis had stealthily positioned the entire Republican Guard Armor Brigade to the terrain north of Safwan. To further corroborate this, or his story, the informant made a phone call to the contact north of the border, who reported that he could see the enemy tanks being hit by airstrikes as they spoke, and the tank crewmen running for cover. The brigade had allegedly moved into their positions over the last several nights by a combination of road and rail and had infiltrated into well-configured positions under cover of darkness and bad weather. The reported presence of the brigade ran counter to the intelligence reporting from higher and, if true, significantly altered the enemy picture in the front of RCT-7. The Ghost Brigade, if truly there, was right where one battle had been constrained by the lack of comprehensive imagery covered for the last couple of days. The report seemed highly unlikely, but it was possible. There had been various reports of commanders flew out of a face-to-face -face meeting with the informant. An entire brigade of T-72 tanks was a justifiable concern on the part of Colonel Hummer and the concern was voiced to the division. The G2 scrambled to confirm or deny this reporting, but could find nothing that would indicate that it was true. As it often the case with Hummet of this nature, however, it was not possible to prove the negative of the G2 could not prove that the tanks were actually not present there. The tanks could not be detected by any of the assets looking at the area, but that did not mean that they were not there. Or was it the tribute to their excellent camouflage techniques? Did the enemy tanks, as reported, have thermal covers that hid under heat signatures from the infrared detection? The Division CG received all the information and contemplated his options. The Division's reaction to this crisis was a perfect example of the aggressive and proactive spirits of the CG had built into the Division there was no way that the fog of war surrounding this incident would be lifted before the division planned to launch its attack, as many might have recalled from the uncertainty. However, the division was to take a different course. The CG was adamant about the division's responsibility to facilitate the success of the RCT commanders and would not be or use this as some kind of an exception. Now the CG was going simultaneously to address the RCT-7 commanders, their concern, and encompass the division's operational mission by aggressive action. Far from being deterred from the information, the division viewed its opportunity not only would the division crush the 51st Mechanized Division, 
but they will also bottle up and destroy whatever elements of the Republican Guard the regime had foolishly thrown into the path of the Marines. If those bastards are down there, we're going to bottle them up and kill them all, was the CG's expression of a new plan that would send a shockwave through the enemy's ranks. Within hours, the division made a necessary changes to the best of its plan. In a tribute to the flexibility of the Marines, a plan that had been carefully worked for months was quickly adjusted to meet the realities on the battlefield within hours. No small part of the new plan was at the precipitation of every ready 1st UK forces on the eastern flank. With a quick call, the 1st Marine Division CG and the commander of the 1st UK Division were able to coordinate the attack of the 1st UK forces into the portion of the zone that would now be unused by the Marines. Without hesitation, the Brits agreed to support the revised plan sealing the enemy's fate. Under the revised plan, the division would first launch RCT-5 to block Highway 8 and 1 north of the Ramadi oil fields to ensure nothing escaped west once the ground fight began. RCT-5 would also take the early opportunity to seize the western elements of the critical oil field infrastructure, preventing their destruction. RCT-7 modified the scheme of maneuver to send 1st Tank Battalion and 3rd Battalion 4th Marines 3-4 to the west of the Jabal Sanam. This task-organized force would emerge from the north side of the rugged Jabal Sanam terrain into the flank of the alleged T-72 force. The other elements of RCT-7 would then attack through the smoking ruins of the alleged Republican Guard unit and seize their original objectives Major Ron Spears, the RCT-7-S2, worked with the G-2 to find a new attack route for the tank task force and continued to look for T-72s. Lieutenant Colonel Nick Vaskowicz, the RCT-7-S3, developed the new orders for the conduct of the attack. The RCT-7 staff emerged with the plan as a letter accessed and even better than their original base plan in achieving the RCT objectives, the Division CG consulted with 1MEF CG, 3rd Mall, pushed fixed rotary wing aircraft north of the border to locate and destroy this alleged tank threat. As fate would have it, one of the Division's M1A1 tank platoons from 1st Tank Battalion was in a forward position at this moment as part of the security force for the border obstacle breaching. As a condition for continuing breaching operations, the Kuwaiti contractors working on the berm had adamantly insisted upon tanks in an overwatch position. Alpha Company, 1st Tank Battalion, sent one tank platoon forward. It grew dark, but the berm reduction continued, as did the enemy mortar fire. Rumors about the enemy reinforcements near the border were also heard contributing to the fog of war experienced in these tense border area. Captain Banning, the company commander, was with the forward platoon. While forward position, his tank traversed the turret to the rear for the gunner to pass the thermal imaging to the driver. The tankers heard AH-1W Cobras overhead and were motivated by their air support being provided on the far side of the border. Realizing that the Cobras operating in the airspace were not under their control. 
the air officers scrambled to find out just who was controlling them. Just then, one of the Cobras fired a Hellfire missile forward, one of the friendly M1A1s, on the border. The missile impacted the tank, generating a large explosion and a ball of flame. Fortunately, this was a new type of Hellfire called the AGM-114M, and it was an Ambler Blast Fragmentation, or ABF, munition designed to produce a multi-directional blast designed to destroy targets via fragmentation. Because of the type of missile used, it did not penetrate the tank's armor, and only Captain Banning was injured. He refused evacuation as it was too early to leave the fight. Alpha Company was later chopped to RCT-1, and the Marines would be very happy to have Captain Banning and his company later in the attack in al -Kut. The aircraft that fired the missile had come from the HMLA-269 flying off one of the ships in the Amphibious Ready Group, or the ARG, offshore. Subsequent investigation revealed that the aircrew had misidentified the tank and its position relative to the border due to poor visibility and a heightened awareness of the potential Iraqi armor presence near the border. The incident served as a significant reminder to the members of the division and to 3rd Maw. No one needed to be told twice to display their air panels, and air crews across the coalition were reminded of their positive identification responsibilities. This incident was one of very few friendly air fire incidents that were to happen throughout the war. Now, another threat loomed. The Iraqis were reportedly beginning to destroy oil wells near the southmost Gosp, only three kilometers north of the Kuwaiti border. The division's attack was still planned for the following morning, but concerns began to build as the risk of the oil fields became more acute. The Pioneer detected and intelligence reports confirmed the burning of oil wells. Later in the morning, VMU reported that another wellhead in the vicinity of the Goss was on fire. This was the indication that the much-anticipated destruction of the oil infrastructure was beginning. Iraqi missile attacks continued and the alert code, Lightning, 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 was repeatedly sounded. There were reports of missile strikes landing near Camp Commando and the boom of distinct explosions in the Iraqi oil-filled areas could be heard. Whether from American bombs or Iraqi sabotage, this was not known. The risk of the destruction of the oil infrastructure was becoming unsettably high. On the division's eastern flank, three commandos of the 1st UK Division, including the attached 15th Marine Expeditionary Unit, whose ground combat elements was the 1st Marine Division-owned 2nd Battalion, 1st Marines, successfully seized the Mina al-Bakar offshore oil terminal in the Arabian Gulf, and the pipeline manifolds on the Al-Fawa Peninsula. Critical elements to restoring the oil infrastructure required to rebuild Iraq. The division cheered the success of their comrades and looked across the South Ramaya infrastructure with anticipation. It was imperative that the MEF unleash the division soon. Iraqi sabotage made it too late to get the rest of the infrastructure intact. The CG was in constant communication with the MEF commander, and together they reviewed the strategic options. Presented in the opportunity to secure infrastructure intact and the possibility to destroy an RGE brigade 
in the process. Both men were eager to strike. Lieutenant General Conway communicated to the CFLCC commander as the senior commander weighed this situation. The Division CG called Colonel Dunford at RCT-5 and told him to be prepared to go earlier than the scheduled crossing of the line of departure. No problem, was the reply. The CG called back again and told Colonel Dunford to be ready to go the evening of 20 March. Again, no problem. The CG called once more and said it did not look like the commander. However, the CG called Colonel Dunford a final time. Grizzly 6, which was Colonel Dunford. This is chaos. How fast can you be ready to go? General, we can go now, was the reply. The new line of departure time for RCT-5 was set for 1730 Zulu on 20 March. So here we go. 20 March now, officially the first unit was getting ready to go ahead and cross the border and head into Iraq. Now, this was something that was anticipated for a very long time. But this also caused us, as the artillery units with 5th Battalion and 11th Marines, we were to be prepared to provide the air support for them, the artillery fire that they needed under any type of weather, whether it was rain, fog, whatever, whatever may be going on, we had to continue to support them to ensure that they had enough support to be able to maneuver and actually engage the enemy and push through them to ensure they can annihilate them and complete their mission. We have to be more than capable to execute ours. And as we're going to see here in the near future, we're going to see how great of an important role as artillerymen, you know, that my unit that I was there with, we played such a vital role in the success of those infantry units as they progressed through to ensure that they attacked those individuals in their way. And as well as we were dealing with a situation with this 50, 51st mechanized battalion that was supposedly moving forward towards, towards us by the South Juan area around San Juan Hill, we had to actually deal with them as well. So next week, we'll continue with our reading and we'll talk about how they were prepared and now officially crossing of that line of departure. Hero, Hero highlight. highlight. First Lieutenant Jack Loomis, a former Baylor University and New York Giants football star, was awarded the Medal of Honor posthumously for heroism on Iwo Jima at the cost of his life on 8 March 1945. He was born in Ennis, Texas on 22 October 1915. He attended Ennis High School for two years before he was forced to leave due to ill health. He finished his high school education at Texas Military College, graduating in 1937. At both NS High and Texas Military, he was a standout performer in baseball and football. While at Texas Military, he earned an athletic scholarship to Baylor University. At Baylor, the tall Texan was selected to three all-conference baseball squads and during his senior year was picked up for the all-conference football team and nominated for All-American Honors. While in college, he majored in physical education, but never graduated because of his heavy commitment in sports. In the summer of 1941, he signed and played professional baseball with the Wichita Falls, Texas team of the Western Texas New Mexico League. In the preceding fall, he signed up with the New York Giants and was still on their roster when he enlisted in the Marine Corps Reserve on 30 January 1942. 
He received his recruit training at San Diego, California, and upon graduating was assigned to base headquarters, Company C, Marine Barracks, San Diego. In May of 1942, he was reassigned to Guard Company, Mare Island, California. While serving in this command, he was promoted to Private First Class on 10 June 1942 and Corporal on 14 August 1942. In October of the same year, he was selected to attend Officer Candidates Class at Quantico, Virginia, and on 30 December 1942, he was commissioned a second lieutenant in the Marine Corps Reserve. His first assignment as an officer was at Camp Elliott, California, where he served as an instructor in the infantry school. In June 1943, he was transferred to Camp Pendleton, California, as a student officer in the Raider Battalion. Later, he served as an instructor in the Raider Battalion's training center. In January of 1944, he joined Company G, 2nd Battalion, 27th Marines, 5th Marine Division, when the designation of the company was changed to Company F in March of that year, he became commanding officer of the company. On 11 August 1944, he embarked on the USS Henry Clay at San Diego and arrived at Hilo, Hawaii seven days later and was assigned to Camp Tarwa. In October, he was reassigned to headquarters company with the same battalion and participated in a seven-day maneuver aboard LST-756 from January 10th through the 17th of 1945. On 17 January, he embarked on the USS Highlands and landed at Saipan on 11 February. He embarked the same day on LST-756 and landed against the Japanese defenders on Iwo Jima on 19 February 1945. On 8 March, when his rifle platoon was pinned down by enemy fire, he charged forward and although wounded twice, single-handedly destroyed three devastating enemy installations. While leading his men forward, he was mortally wounded by an exploding landmine. Shortly before he died, he told the medic attending him, Well, Doc, it looks like the Giants have lost a good end. He was buried in the 5th Division Cemetery on Iwo Jima. Later, his remains were re-entered in Myrtle Cemetery in Ennis, Texas. His mother was presented the Medal of Honor during ceremonies held in Ennis, Texas on Memorial Day 1946. The Quarterdeck what a great start to the weekend in the beginnings of the celebration of the Marine Corps' 248th birthday. I wish that everybody has a great time out there this weekend. Enjoy the festivities. Have a couple of cold ones, but as always, be careful. Take care of yourself. And let me give you guys gunny signs of safety brief for this weekend. If you drink, don't drive. If you drive, don't drink. If you're going to go out there and get your little willy wet, wrap it up. Don't want to hear you have any small little little fuck trophies come Monday morning because you decided to go out there and have a good time. So all your little crib snatchers, keep them to yourself. Make sure that you take care of each other as you go out and have a great time with each other. Like always, enjoy this time. Enjoy this day. 
It is a great honor to be able to celebrate another birthday of our Corps every single year because the tradition will never die. And as for me, we will continue our tradition here at our house and go ahead and get a small little cake and do a short little cake cutting ceremony here at home to ensure that we continue the tradition. So this way, my son and wife will continue to be able to be part of the tradition that I grew up since back in 1995 when I enlisted in our beloved Corps, and I will continue to share that celebration with them. So until next week, I want to wish you guys a great weekend. Enjoy the Marine Corps birthday. All my veterans out there, enjoy Veterans Day weekend as well. Go get some free chow. A lot of restaurants out there giving you some free grub. Enjoy it. Go have breakfast, lunch, and dinner at some of these restaurants out there and enjoy all the free food that's going to be given to you this weekend. Thank you all for your service, for everything that you did for our country, and enjoy this day because it is your day for you to celebrate it. But above all, do not forget, the Marine Corps birthday trumps all of that. Celebrate the birthday. Have a beer. Have a great time. So until next week, this is Miguel the Gunny Signs sounding Liberty Call. Get off the bus! I do solemnly swear. I do solemnly swear. That I will support you. The United States. United States. Against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Oh, my God.